Talking about stuff, talking about things, talking about you, talking about me. It's not a wild country, and we are celebrating. It is Canberra. Conversations in the capital. Hello, my name is Henry. Welcome to Canberra Conversations in the Capital. Today, inside Questacon, the National Science and Technology Centre, I am joined by science communicator Patrick Hewlin. One of my favorite science communicators in this country, Pat spent the majority of his early life in America before moving to Canberra and bringing his talents to Questacon. Having played an integral part in the development and presentation of so many spectacular science shows in this building, Pat's passion for knowledge, plethora of characters, and unwavering positive energy has left an everlasting legacy. Pat, how are you doing today? Wow, I, I'm, I'm taller. Yeah, I got taller after that introduction. That was excellent. No, they have the, no, no. The I'm, I'm doing very it. well. Yeah. I was doing very well, and now I'm even better. Henry, thanks. Oh, brilliant. Well, we're currently inside Questacon, and it is here that you have engaged with science communication for so many years now. You've met and worked with prominent names, including actor Alan Alda, Golden Logie winner Samuel Johnson, and various former prime ministers. Looking back on your time here, what are some highlights that straight away spring to mind? Every single day has actually been a highlight. Mm. We get to meet a lot of famous people, and we get to work with Nobel Prize winners, and we get to do some things. I think the one of the biggest highlights was the day I answered a phone, and someone asked if we had somebody who could play Albert Einstein. Mm. And we didn't at that point. But I said, yeah, I bet we could. <laughs> I said, I, I bet I could do that for you. When do you need it by? They said, oh, a couple of weeks. I was, okay. And that was for the International Year of Physics in 2005. And it was, it ended up being a, a thing where, so I, I went and got a wig. Um, I did some makeup. I listened to Albert Einstein's voice. It was very interesting because Albert talks mm-hmm. very considered on all of the recordings of him because he is reading. So translating his actual voice, we're trying to get it close in a conversational tone was really a lot of fun. Yeah, brilliant. And I am happy to say that Albert has made appearances every year, multiple times ever since. Albert got to meet... People up at Parliament House, you know, got to sit on the stage that very first day I was ever Albert Einstein. I got asked to come up on stage and sit with a panel of prominent physicists from all around the world, including a man named Stephen Chu, who won a Nobel Prize. He's a Nobel Prize winning physicist. The kids in the audience, they had all these people to ask a question of. Instead, they picked me. Kept going to Albert. That's it. They they picked me. Oh, no. But it was... it went really well. Yeah. I didn't get fired. Oh, um, brilliant. That's, again, highlights of my, my career at Questacon are all of the days I haven't been fired. That's it. Well, before we go any further into the present day, Pat, I want to get some more insight into the early days of Patrick Hewlin. Before Australia, you worked mm-hmm. as a theater performer and director in America? Yes, I did. Tell um, me more. Before I came to Australia, mm-hmm. I was the managing director of Prairie Fire Children's Theater, based in Barrett, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. We toured all around the Midwestern United States to Eastern United States, all around there doing um, shows based on fairy tales to Shakespeare and that. They're all original shows we wrote, we directed, we did all that stuff. 
Um, and that was fantastic. Yeah. And I've run into people I've actually taught in Australia hmm. from America that's, who were over here. That was um, brilliant. Yes. That's wonderful. When, when you eventually did move to Australia, you soon found yourself a job here at Questacon. What led to that moment? I got my permanent residency mm -hmm. where I was allowed to work, which was really good fun. I worked yeah. at the National Folk Festival, and my most famous roadie gig, I guess, was with the Ministry of Sound. Oh, hey. I had no idea who they were. Anyway, <laughs> I was an old guy from America. And missed, yeah. Anyway, so then um, I was directing a show, mm -hmm. and I, David Kennel, who is you know someone else you should probably talk to at some point, Absolutely. he was in the, in the cast. And one day he came up to me and he goes, do you know anything about science? You know, you're, you have a good sense of humor. Do you want to do my job? And I was like, yeah. And so I came over and did the process, went through the thing, wrote the application, did an audition, which was really good fun. And, and here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Yes. And they were like, oh, you'll probably stay for like a year or so. And then... Yeah, exactly. And now, now I've been here for 16 years. So, That's it. Yeah. So, there it is. Well, th those who know you will know that you're a very big fan of a form of presentation, let's call it, which you have dubbed Underwhelming Science. I do. Tell I us more it. about the idea behind that and give us some, some examples of your favorite Underwhelming Science moments. One of the things with the, the science communication that works for me, mm -hmm. an inquiry-based style of, of presentation where I ask lots of questions. Yeah. And then... We see about the answers and we make sure that the answers don't need to be right and they don't need to be wrong mm. and we don't need to actually, the answer isn't the important bit. The thing is, what's going to happen? And if it's surprising and gives us something that we don't necessarily expect, that can give us more buy-in to, to appreciate what science is about and that things that are really difficult we can start to explain them simply, but you know what? No matter how well and simply we explain them, they're still going to be difficult. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Absolutely. However, it's important for people to understand that. My favorite underwhelming science demonstration is called snail ball. Snail ball. It's, it's seriously, it's, it's brilliant. So if I were to ask the people who are listening to this, all three of you, <laughs> Can he knows our <laughs> <laughs> if you have a ball, we're, we're going to do the Einstein called it a Gedanken experiment. Sure. All right. So we're going to do it in our mind, and you can do it actually in real life. You can pause, run over, grab the stuff you need. A ball, singular, singular. Then you need a little thing that you can make at an angle. Like so a ramp. Like a ramp. Oh, that's exactly it. An inclined plane is what Galileo would have called it. And if you put the ball at what we call the top of that hill, stick the ball on that, don't let go, but what's going to happen when you do? Think it through. What's going to happen when you let go of that ball? Then I want you to think about when did that answer actually make sense to you first as a human? When did you learn that the ball was going to do the thing that you expected it to do? Hmm. Which I'm not going to tell you, okay? Mm -hmm. if you, just in case. Just in case some of you don't know this. That's it. All right? But you learned this as a little kid. And no one can really put that moment 
on my paper and say it was July 12th, 1968, mm. when I discovered the fact that if I put a ball at the top of a hill, it does something. Mm. And this is when we don't really realize all the things that we are learning. And the way we learn is by watching, by doing, observing. It's the scientific method. We watch, we observe, we record, we do these things, we see if it does the things we expect, and that. So, now, if you take a cylinder, cylinder would be, you know, and you stick it. A can of salt. A can. You could take a can. Mm. You could take, actually, one of my favorite things is a jar of, a, make sure it's plastic. Okay. A jar of honey or a jar of some sort of sticky fluid, mm. right? Mm. Syrup or, or that. Um, glucose glucose um, syrup is excellent. Now, set that at the top of the hill. Is it going to do the same thing that the ball did? If so, why? Think that through. And if not, why? Mm. Then let it go and see what happens. Does it roll in the same way? Does it roll as evenly? And that. Now, if it's a brand new bottle of or, or cylinder of honey, glucose syrup, or anything like that, and it's totally full and has been unopened, what happens if you pour half of it out? You pour half of it out, then let it go at the top of the hill. Put the lid back on. Mm -hmm. um, but then let it go at the top of the hill and see how that goes. And then you'll start to understand why we call it snail ball. Mm -hmm. And then you look around for things that will do that. That's However, snail ball does the exact same thing as every other ball. <laughs> it just does it a little slower. There it is. And this is a fantastic way to start looking into how things work. Because ultimately there's so much of just life around us that we kind of just take it for granted, right? Because it's just there. And from a young age we realized it was there. Yeah. And we don't really yeah. think, why is it here? Because it yeah. yes. has no relation to us going forward. We just why go, does it roll? This is the thing, right? Why does also, it roll? change the pitch of your incline plane and see what happens. Exactly. Because sometimes a really low pitch will give you a totally different thing than... A different answer hmm. than a, a steeper pitch. That's it. Well, let me know, by the way, if you uh, if you've tried this at home and find out that you also are a snail ball aficionado. <laughs> yeah, core core quest to come and ask, ask for Pat. Yeah, yeah. created this Facebook page known as mm. Science in Your Suburb, and it was a forum encouraging people to look for science happening all around their home and discussing the workings behind them together. It's actually blown up quite a bit. Are, are you surprised by how large and interactive the whole page has gotten? It, I, I have been. I actually, it was mostly just to keep myself and my daughter Lucy having something to do <laughs> over shutdown. Yeah. But it's utilizing things that you have around the house for other purposes. And it's looking at your back garden. It's looking at the grass that's growing there and how many different species you might have. Mm. It's looking at the bees that are pollinating the flowers or your veggie patch and that around the house. We also discovered native bees, native blue-bottom bees, blue-banded blue bees, sorry. Mm. Um, they're absolutely brilliant, and they live in the walls of our house. 
My daughter got a bee hotel. Oh, we very it nice. Up. Yes. The spiders love it. The oh, bees no. have shunned it. It's okay. <laughs> because I think the spiders are really cool. Yeah. There's all those things that happen around the house. There's reflections through your window. There's if you are making tea, that difference in the color and what that means and where, where the light goes, how light is reflected around, how we utilize and boil things. At work, I tell people what's going on all the time. So when I get to do these things and hopefully inspire people to try something, mm. then okay. they get to find out the answer for themselves. That's it. You, you mentioned that you started this whole thing oh, yeah. so you and Lucy can can do can do can do the things. Yeah. Let's let's talk about Lucy. You you you've mentioned you your daughter in the past, uh, someone who has several conditions and special needs. How has science played a role in your everyday life together, aside from that, and in what ways has she inspired you to continue with the science communication going forward? Um, my daughter for those at home, I won't go too far into it, but she suffers from autism, most likely Tourette's, possibly a little bit of schizophrenia thrown in there just for excitement and fun. And she also has some cognitive disability and some brain formation issues. Mm. Um, she's beautiful and lovely and cherubic, and no one would ever notice by looking at her, but <laughs> she does have, have some issues when she is absolutely lovely until she is not. Mm. Um, so, but getting Lucy involved in stuff, she loves facts. She likes the, you know, with, um, with all those things, she has a fantastic vocabulary and has really interesting special interests. Yeah. And a lot of them are scientifically based archaeology. She loves ancient civilizations and she loves to learn languages. Mm. And so we just wanted to be able to spend some time to do some things that would then possibly help develop her interest in that, that kind of stuff. And we'll see how we go. But Lucy has genetic, we're doing some genetic um, testing. We've, we've looked at our chromosomes, all of our chromosomes. We found out that my wife is absolutely perfect. She's pristine. Her chromosomes are absolutely pristine. Mine are less than... <laughs> And, and Lucy has a couple of other little little glitches there that probably, but we don't know for sure, have something to do with the various things that are going on. Um, we live in a time right now that is brilliant because the support we get for a child like Lucy and the, the support that Lucy gets to be able to fit into the community is, is really um, fantastic. And her schooling has been brilliant. And she has fantastic people who come and help help us care for her. And so, yes, we're very, very lucky to be in Australia, mm. you know, during a COVID because Australia is doing very, very well. Yes. But also just for the social, social needs of, of a special, of a special needs child. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've heard a few of these stories before, but what would you consider to be the wildest science communication moment that you have had, whether this be something going wrong? or something going terrifically right, if you will. So there have been, there, there, there's one of each, actually. If that's oh, very good, okay. yeah. I, I think. Um, one of the very first science shows I did, it was the Science of the Sideshow, and we just called it Sideshow. Sure. It was aimed at a, a family audience, but mostly the younger kids in that audience as well. And we did lots of really silly things. Like we have the tightrope of death. Oh, spooky. Ooh. Which is like a, a little um, walkie thing that's like 
30 centimeters off the floor. <laughs> um, we usually get a dad down to walk the tightrope of death in a 2-2, and we talk a little bit about rotational inertia and things mm. like that, this, the, the concepts behind it. And then we also have the chair of pain, mm. and the chair of pain is an important thing. And We used to have a – we'd always use a plush doll like Buzz Lightyear or whoever. It was, was the, the doll that we would then make lay on mm. the bed of nails. Chair of doom. The chair of doom. Yeah. One day, we were starting. The show starts with me in total silence, and we would do some some slapstick comedy with the people coming in. I had a broom. I had a couple of things. I'd make them juggle, or they couldn't, whatever. If they could, that was great. If they yeah. couldn't, that was great. Yeah. It didn't matter. We would do some stuff. We'd pop a balloon to start the show. Hmm. It's doing the, the show, and this part well, might be rated PG, so was that? Right. So we're starting the show, <laughs> and there's uh, it's a, it was a school holiday audience, which sure. in those days, before COVID, we were packed. We had to turn people away from the door and have them come to the next show and stuff like that. So we're welcoming the people in and doing all the stuff and laughing, 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 laughing. And I turned, and there was this lady, and she was really happy. Really happy. Like going, hey, let's go. Right? Yeah. She was appearing to be a little bit inebriated. Right. So I thought, all right, maybe I should just ask her to leave, but I'm not going to, I don't want to break this. I'll ask her to leave in a minute. Yeah. But I showed her to a seat. Right? Yeah. And she was sitting there. And that was good. Then I went on to do the thing. I was just keeping an eye on her. So doing the show, getting there, I burst the balloon. Everybody left. All of a sudden, she's not in her chair. She's behind me again oh, no. and coming back in the door. I don't know how she got out. I don't know. It was, it was like she was like, you know. Anyway, but she, all of a sudden she was behind me. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and we got her back to her chair. And she was like waving and stuff like this. And she was, you know, it was, it was, I felt very harmless. Sure. So, and then I thought, well, she's, you know, looking back, I should have actually called someone and gotten someone to, to look after her, but we're okay. We get to the chair of pain, and we're doing the first little bed of nails with the doll on it. Yeah. And we did a drum roll, and she jumped up. Yep. And then went to sit down and missed her chair and fell down. And then she kind of screamed. Oh, no. And laid there. Oh, oh, no. And there was not any movement. And so it was like, hey, everybody, we're, you know, right now we're going to stop. Is there? And there was a doctor in the house. It was like oh. the first time I ever got to actually say line, that, yeah. right? The line, the is, line. There doc- <laughs> the line. is there a doctor here? Right? I didn't say, is there a doctor in the house? I don't think because that would have just been. Anyway. Sure. Doctor came down there. I said, everybody, the show is over. Come <laughs> see. Thank you so much. So I went down and I was halfway down the stairs. The doctor was on his way down to there because there were some people going by. When I heard, ah! And the thing that I messed up, and this is where I, I did mess up, there was a the little bit of nails. Oh, no. Was sitting on a trolley just kind of by those steps and, and back a little bit. Yeah. And the woman fell down the steps. Yeah. And I turned just in time to see her, and her hand went thwack. Oh. Right? And she thwack means it like that onto the nails. Yeah. Which stuck in her hand a little bit, and then as she fell down, it slid off the thing, and she fell down, and and there there she was. Um, so I ran, made the phone call. We got people in. They helped her out. That was the end of that show. It was very interesting. But the next show, yeah. Guess who walked in? 
Same person? The same one. What? And so she, she had her hand bandaged because the <laughs> Questacon staff had taken beautiful care of her. Yeah. She came in and apologized. She had accidentally taken double pain medication for her oh. back pain. And so it made her appear to be drunk, but it was an accidental thing. <laughs> right. So, but she was, and she was horrified. Yeah. And we had a nice little chat and, <laughs> and that. And so it did turn out all right for that lady. That was good. That was good. And then as far as like accidental things that happen that actually make things work even better are when, and it has actually happened numerous times, when, and a lot of science happens that way. Of course. By, by accident. Yeah. But how do we discover the way to do a certain demonstration? And mostly it comes from a child asking a question. Right. And saying, what if you do this? Mm. And then... We have a really hard time that the more we know about stuff, of actually taking that step back and saying, yeah, let's just do this. Yeah. Right? And so these are the, those moments that are really, really good. One of my favorites with pumping up the styrofoam balls, mm -hmm. um, that makes no sense to any of you at home. <laughs> we do a demonstration on air pressure where we use a PET bottle, a 1.25 liter PET bottle of your fizzy drink of choice. It's empty, a fizzy drink, rinsed out, and then we fill it with those little styrofoam beads, which I cannot recommend for the planet at no. all, but they're the ones that go in your beanbag chairs yeah. and stuff like that. Um, and they will go everywhere and you will never get rid of them, so be careful. But then we hook that up to a pump, a bicycle pump, and we have a special lid that we put on with a valve, a bicycle valve. You can use whichever one you want, whatever pump you've got. And then we pump. And as we pump it up, what happens to the beads? Well, the air inside the beads ends up getting crowded by more air that we're pumping in. And the beads get smaller and smaller and smaller. And this is a really good thing to do. And then we open it up and they, they swell back up. Simple but effective. Yeah. yeah. But this little kid said, why don't you put a balloon in there? And I was like, how cool is that? And so we did. We did. Just for that, that, that person. And so that has now led me to be able to do that demonstration even with, with more impact than before, just because of a little kid. If you could, in one sentence, summarize the most important thing about effective science communication, I'm allowing you to use some commas and semicolons if you want to somehow. Oh, work I can make a complex sentence. Yeah. Okay. But all right, a run-on sentence. Yeah, go on. You know, okay. run-on sentence. Uh, yeah, yeah, a hyphen yeah. in there too. A hyphen or two. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> it's paying attention to the audience that you want to reach. Listening to how they answer questions. Engage if you are boring them to death, either by being well and truly above the level, if you're explaining above a level that they can understand, or if you're explaining below a level that they can understand, and it's knowing how to read that. Your audience is smarter than you think, always. Yeah. And they always have something to contribute to it. Mm. You never want to alienate someone from science.
And it's okay for you as a presenter. It's okay for me to be wrong. Yeah. And if I'm wrong in a situation and I admit I'm wrong and we find the right, then that is a much more valuable um, experience than if I'm pretending, oh, no, I'm always right, I'm always right. So we can't be too engrossed in us. And science is the star of it. It has nothing to do with me. There it is. It has nothing to do with the person. It's the science that is the interesting thing. Always will be too. That's so, yeah. That was a very nice, very nice, concise Multi-line. <laughs> Multi-line. Multi-line. <laughs> to make a short story long. <laughs> but no, I think, but I, I, I think every point you said there was an important point. I don't think any of that was filler. I think that was all, I think that's like, there's, there's a thing in teaching. It's like the 10 essential skills for the classroom management behavior. It's like the 10 essential skills for science communication. I, I, I think they all fit into that brilliantly. Hmm. Let's do a bit of a, a bit of a fantasy booking situation. Okay. If you could have dinner with three, Science-related people, dead or alive, who would you have dinner with and why? Albert Einstein, Mm -hmm. Marie Curie, Mm -hmm. and my sister Kate. Oh, awesome. Yeah. 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 My sister Kate is very, very, she's an amazing scientist. She's mostly in administration now, but she's, Mm. yes, she's a very good scientist. What do you think would be the key, the key discussion topic through this dinner? The key discussion topic would be, what is the most important thing that's going to happen? Yeah, okay. All right. I what like is the too. next big discovery? What is the next, you know, thing? Why? Why? I would like to ask Albert why. Why did he you do it? Why, the, why did he think of the things he did? Because it's, you know, but yeah. All right. We'll, we'll go a bit camera-centric for this next one. Uh, recommend to me a hidden gem of a location in this city. And sell to me why I should go visit it. Mount Majura Nature Reserve mm-hmm. is, and I'm kind of spoiled there because it's right behind my house. <laughs> sure. Um, so it features highly in science in your suburb. Hey. The, <laughs> um, the it, it's just beautiful. It's got beautiful forests, beautiful walking trails. Um, the wildlife is great. Kangaroos are around. Um, the birds, the birds are spectacular. Mm. The gang gang cockatoos and and all of them are around. It's it's really nice. And yeah, I think that's definitive bush capital scenes. It, it is, and it also has um, a lot of evidence and that of the indigenous peoples who have lived here mm. for you know right around. I think it's like twenty eight thousand to thirty thousand yeah. years is what they're talking about in this area. But I, you know. I don't take my word for that at all. Mm. Um, yes. And the Nunawal community that um, is here actually do do tours around that area oh, if you're good. interested in that. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. And looking forward, what does the future hold for Patrick here? I'm not very ambitious. I'm actually quite happy doing what I'm doing. Just not getting fired then. Yeah, I'm just not getting fired. <laughs> but hopefully... The future holds my my child growing up and finding a, a niche for her in society um, and in Canberra. Hopefully the future holds some breakthroughs in science communication, mm. especially along those lines of how do we trust scientists. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't trust me just because I'm saying <laughs> stuff, by the way. Yeah. Right? Of course. And that's that's one of those those most important things, again, that I could have added earlier. 
is making sure that people know that just because I'm standing up somewhere talking about something doesn't make me the authority. And it doesn't make me right. So question, question, question. Question, question, question. You know. In a second, I'm going to open the floor to you for a final statement, Pat. But before I do that, I Mm -hmm. just want to say how much of an influence you've had on me. Uh, Having grown up watching your science shows when I came to QuestCon 2, then working with and being mentored by you, it's helped my growth so much and it's maintained my interest in PsyCon. And for that, I am incredibly grateful. So I want to thank you for that. But with that being said, the floor is yours. Is there anything you'd like to say to the people? Thank you, Henry. That was actually, that was really beautiful. Um, I'm, I really am glad that I haven't scarred you for life. And <laughs> uh, that basically that science is everywhere around us and science and art are actually the same thing. Hmm. Um, it's just a different way of perceiving it and a different way of showing it. Hmm. All of the stuff that happens around us is intertwined. And there are people who are better artists. There are people who are incredible scientists. But hopefully everybody will be able to find that way of being able to communicate the important bits, the exciting bits, to everyone. It's not important that you become a scientist. It's not important that you become an artist. It's not important that you become anything other than what you become. But if you become a ballet dancer, the amount of science and physics involved is amazing. Yeah. And even if you don't really understand the very deep modeling and mathematics behind the climate change models and behind these things and behind that stuff, you at least have an understanding and an appreciation for those people who do. Mm. And, yeah, back to Albert and Marie and my sister Kate. How does the planet look now compared to when you were here before? Hmm. What do you think is going to happen? And is taking care of the planet the most important thing that we can do? Because I tend to think it is. But like I said, I can be wrong. (laughs) And on that point, on that note, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you so much for today. My name is Henry, and from Questacon, the National Science and Technology Center in Canberra, this has been Conversations in the Capital. Stay safe, be kind, and we'll see you all soon.